Hi, welcome to season seven. Um, we're on episode three of what we're calling the dark side of marketing. Um, I'm Mary Abazia, and with me, of course, is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellham. Hi. Tech Planning Group. <laughs> and um, we chose this topic because as we study examples, um, some of them actually provide a lot of contrast and, and shed light on best and worst practices that we may want to consider uh, as we think different about our business. So that's what intrigues us about this particular topic. Sean, will you uh, take us into what we're going to be delving into this time? Yeah, today we're going to look at the the marketing of, of opioid pain reliefs with a particular focus on uh, OxyContin, which is uh, probably the best known one, um, which is a, a public health tragedy. But um, and this sounds flippant, if we get past that, it's also a very strong marketing story. And the, the idea behind the dark side is we look at things that, have, that are not necessarily good inherently, and in fact, in many cases, are, are downright bad, but look at what they did in terms of the marketing to see what we can learn from that, what we can take from it and use in our own presumably ethical campaigns. Um, so we're sort of stealing from the, the, the bad guys, if you like, uh, uh, a, bit, a bit of an intellectual Robin Hood. So opioids is, is the focus for this, um, this particular topic. And there's two elements to it, I think. One is, is the power of influence and one is the power of, of focused segmentation. In terms of influence, the reason we got to this point where opioid pain relief became widespread um, was historically it was always avoided because it was understood it had a massive risk of addiction. And researchers and academics started to form the opinion that, that the, 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 um, the addiction had been overstated and the benefits of opioid pain relief were actually significant. And as this academic groundswell grew of, 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 of researchers suggesting that, that there was a place for opioid pain relief for chronic pain sufferers, that influenced the whole market and turned companies such as Purdue Pharma to focus on that particular product and see if they couldn't stimulate the market. So the first thing is it, it was it was driven by an influencer and, and outside of your business, you need to see where influence is strong and how that might change the market. But more importantly, what what Purdue did was they 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 through the the databases that they can get their, their hands on, that anyone can get their hands on, they, they looked for prescribing histories of doctors and looked for those that were uh, had a history of prescribing strong pain relief. Uh, that could be seen as a way of finding doctors that have a large number of chronic pain patients. It could also be a way of finding doctors that are less discriminating in their prescribing habits and just go for the strong painkillers. Either way, that subset of about 5,000 doctors were seen as key to promoting the benefits of their opioid pain relief product. And that led to um, not just an identification, but then every aspect of their marketing machine piled into that, that, that niche segment. They had uh, symposia and conferences where the, the benefits were exposed. They, they um, they gave vouchers and redeemable coupons for those doctors, of which thirty to forty thousand were um, were redeemed. Um, they doubled their sales force. They they increased the sales force incentive. Every aspect of what they did focused initially on this core group of doctors that were seen as being the most likely to prescribe. And then once the 
the flywheel starts turning, once the momentum builds, of course, that then spreads. So I think that my takeaway from, from this is, is predominantly, if you can focus on a group of potential customers that are most tuned into your offer and fire every bit of your resource towards that with a highly focused strategy, you're going to have a, a much higher return than trying to convince everyone in the entire market. So from a marketing perspective, job well done. The consequences of that job well done, of course, were, were terrible. But this is what we talk about in the dark side of marketing. We're not, we're not giving kudos to the companies generally. We're looking at what aspects they, they, they use that we can learn from. Yeah, Sean, I think um, what you're pulling out of this story is really interesting because we talk about the magnetic effect of focus. In fact, Tom Tom wrote about it. And um, and it seems like this is just such a great example of uh, when we work with our, our pharma clients, it's, it's always, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And when they look at uh, with patients in particular, how do we build a compliance type program? It's kind of uh, it's interesting that they unlock that in a in a pretty significant way. So, what yeah. do you think, Tom? Well, I think the it's always good when I can surmise of something that can happen by ethical marketers that ethical marketers can take away from a story like this that the bad guys really can't benefit from. Because Mary, I was also thinking about the magnetic effect of focus, and I think what what happens when the bad guys are doing stuff, you know, and Sean describes their their extreme focus, you know, um, produce extreme focus on on the right docs, but it hits an ethical wall, you know. So you get to the point where you know people that have a certain amount of ethics say, "Hey, I don't really believe this is the the right thing to do," but in a situation where we've seen where there's really good and beneficial. Um, even pharmaceuticals being marketed and, and, and exhibiting the magnetic effect of focus. It truly does happen. It starts off as per, Purdue did with a focus on, you know, a couple of segments that, of doctors that are really likely to, um, you know, endorse and, 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 and prescribe the drug. But in the pharmaceutical business, you know, the, the, the information is perfect. So you can see, you know, not only how much of a particular drug is being prescribed, but who is prescribing it? I think it's IMS database. And so if it's an ethical uh, drug, that magnetic effect of focus can really take off because the other segments that maybe aren't in the initial target, you know, they start to see, hey, there's something good about this. There's some good, you know, prescriber behavior here. Maybe I ought to get on board. And we see that that magnetic effect takes off, that the other segments then can start to pile in over time. But, you know, it, it, with, the, with the bad guys, it, it hits what, what I called earlier an ethical wall, you know, and so there's a limitation there. So I'm always glad to, to, to see when, when that happens, because there is something that can be learned from, from this by the good guys. And I think it's worth noting, because obviously the, the, the marketing of pharmaceuticals generally um, is a net benefit to humanity. We, we've worked with several uh, uh, brands and, and, and therapies and are proud to have done so. Um, and what makes this the dark side is, is not their behaviors in terms of the focus and the piling in with the incentives and, and, the, um, uh, and the information targeted and, and the messaging and so forth. It was 
as has been shown with the various lawsuits that have happened, there was there was a knowledge that that this was more harmful than it was claimed to be. There was a dishonesty at some level in elements of what what was going on, and it's that element that we that we need to um, recognise makes this sit firmly on the dark side. It, it's it's using these fantastic successful marketing methodologies with an underlying knowledge that what you're doing is not actually a, a net good for for society you know you know you're doing something that is that is harmful um which makes it similar and we'll probably talk about cigarette marketing at some point <laughs> but similar to the the marketing efforts of cigarette companies in the 70s and 80s and their attempts to suppress scientific data that was showing the harm their products could cause there was a lot of um, uh, a, a lot of marketing techniques that were used to to try and resist that and to promote what they knew was a harmful um, product. So that's that's the sort of thing that we're we're looking at. I just, I just feel like I want to be clear that that, that there's a, there's a, a, an awful lot of good comes out of the, the majority of the companies and types of companies we talk about, but some very specific ones. Um, uh, what, what we see on the dark side. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think. The, when you go really dark, 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 you get to, of course, the cigarettes, because it, the time has kind of really shown us that we're in the midst of this, this, epi, you know, whatever we, whatever we're going to call it right now. But another part of what is remarkable, Sean, about the story you're telling is, is that they mobilized, um, you know, it's one thing for a marketer to, to find an opportunity with a group of people and to figure out the right message. And, but then to mobilize everyone the way that they did. And like you said, double down with their resources in that one area, that takes a lot of company discipline. And, um, and that's often where we work with clients and, you know, they're down the road a year or two and they go, what happened? You know, we picked the right audience. We had the right message. We spent a lot of money on segmentation and it just didn't happen. And of course they blame it on sales and sales blames it on marketing. But in this case, they all came together and, and, and it worked incredibly well from an execution standpoint. I think that's key, Mary, that, that, that it is about coordinating the effort, isn't it? And we see that um, creating a great segmentation, a great segment of, of potential customers that really resonate with your offer, that you feel you can reach, that you have a compelling message to, and they will, they, you'll be heard, is actually the start of the process. It seems like it's a major breakthrough to say we've identified this group of a, of, a, of aggressive treatment doctors, say, for, for a, a particular product, and, and then sit back and think, great, but unless you coordinate, unless you have every aspect, including the sales, including the promotional, including the PR, including the, the messaging and the positioning, Everything has to come together. We often talk of marketers as being great coordinators or orchestrators of the company um, commercial activity. And, and this is a great example of, of it's not sufficient to have a segment. It's only useful when that insight is turned into action and that requires that coordinated effort. Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting that sometimes uh, failure galvanizes that, that focus because I, a, a lot of people listening if, if you've ever been to one of our workshops, we do talk about the, the magnetic effect of, of focus and, and uh, a case of um, an AIDS uh, solution early, was it maybe late 80s, early 90s, that was marketed very broadly and failed. 
And because there had been so much hype around this potential solution, and this company had talked about it publicly, and the stock price had sort of prematurely been bid up, and um, you, you know when the company actually had disappointing results when they first started marketing this drug, there was a tremendous motivation that we got to get this right. And what the company did is they, they, they backed up and, and picked out two segments that really didn't mind the fact that um, the, the, the particular drug had potentially harmful side effects. And, and so the, the company, one of the segments that the company targeted, what they backed up and did and, and put their resources against were those doctors who were really aggressive treaters who, who, who were willing to try a drug with very um, potentially harmful side effects to, to, to find a life-saving solution for their patients. I mean, there was a, a subset, a segment of doctors that were really willing to do that. But it wasn't until the company had actually failed in their initial broad brush marketing in the market that they, that they went after that segment. And that is the case that we often talk about that is the magnetic effect of focus because as the drug started to get some traction and some, and, and some successes behind it, that's when the rest of the segments came. It's too bad that sometimes it takes a, a, a massive failure to bring uh, that, that real um, coordinated effort together. And I guess now, I would, if you don't it, wait for failure, do it, do it now. Of course, it would have been good if, uh, if opioid pain relief had failed miserably, wouldn't it? In, with hindsight, anyway. Um, I think the, 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 the key thing there, Tom, is that the, the, the idea that you, um, it's where we started. I talked about influence, right? We, we sort of briefly mentioned that, that what kicked off this whole growth in opioids was the influence of academics and researchers that were suggesting through published peer-reviewed papers that the, the, the risks and reward equation was out of whack for opioids. The, the risks were seen as too high and the rewards were too low and they wanted to rebalance that. But also you, you make a point about this, this focus. Once you've established that foothold, once you've got the flywheel turning, they become influencers, right? The aggressive patient treaters, in, in your example, Tom, with the AIDS medication, they become the influencers. And other doctors who are maybe not, not so much the first movers, not the people that are going to take the pioneering risk, look and say, wow, this works. This is beneficial. So it's a complete circle. You know, the influencer kicks off the program, the, the, the focus on, a, on a, a very fertile group of doctors in this case or customers generally then they become this critical mass of influence and so so the wheel turns and all of those were, were present in in the opioid story and, and we see it time and time again it, it's really is a, a core of of marketing strategy hmm. yeah circle of life here <laughs> yeah i'm gonna um, burst into song at this point Mary. i'm hearing it i'm here in the background um the, <laughs> the other thing that i think um is really interesting that, that Tom brought up is, as I think about our clients that have succeeded, a lot of them, it comes out of failure. You know, and I, I'm thinking through the different examples and a lot of times it's where the company like is saying, okay, we've really screwed up and they collectively agree to that. We've got to do something different. We got to, you know, and now we're going to, we're going to do something better, different. It's the ones that kind of go, oh, we're thinking about, you know, making sure we stay in the market, we grow at, you know, a, a conservative but respectable rate. Those ones never work. It's almost like you have to, like, sometimes just really experience bad before the good can come out of it. Yeah. 
and, and of course that that's a philosophy that goes with the uh, the the um, uh, minimally viable product philosophy, right? That that whole sort of lean marketing or whatever it, whatever it's called. But that idea that that get your product to market quick and get the feedback quick, and if you're going to fail, fail quick and learn quick and then adapt. And don't don't hold back to uh, to wait for that perfect moment because as most people learn through their lives, it doesn't ever come. You know, it's all a, it's a combination of, of experience and feedback loops that get you to where you need to go. You know, what strikes me too is that when um, we are, are called in and work with companies that have had some disappointing results, almost 100% of the time the solution lies in segmentation. Almost always. I'm, I, was, I was chuckling thinking about Sean and I working in Italy with someone who was uh, bringing, a, bringing to market um, a, a, a pharmaceutical solution, seventh, seventh to market with no differentiating characteristics and really difficult, um, bad results. And, and once again, you know, the, the, the solution lied in, lay in, lied in, we're, we're, I don't know. <laughs> Segmentation. Sean and I were, were kind of working with the, the, this marketer and we, we realized that um, the biological basis of the drug was natural and all of the other six solutions on the market were based on um, some extraction from a rat's pituitary gland. <laughs> So, so we, along with the marketer said the segment that you want is the, the, the naturalist segment, people that want a pure, you know, a pure plant-based drug. And, and that was, again, a situation, you know, you could find doctors who really care about that. And you could help doctors find patients who really care about that. Right. And that was the angle once again, you know, so I think what I'm taking away from all of this is, if, if you have, um, if you're having disappointing results, stepping back and taking a look at, um, you know, how you're segmenting and targeting usually is going to yield some, some great insight into how, you know, plan B should come together. Yeah, I think that's true. The, the one thing I'd add to balance up, I guess, is, is uh, that the, the having the, the, the mistake, having the, this isn't working and refocusing, which is where most learning comes from. Um, in this particular case, of course, it was a, a, not a new product. Opioids have been around for a thousand years, but it was a, a new indication, new application. Um, and this works just as well when you're launching a new product. You know, sometimes you have to start saying, try and avoid the mistakes if you can. Sit back and think, where should we focus our resources? Can you do that research? And almost certainly you'll get it a little bit wrong and you'll learn, which is the, the mistake thing. But, you know, you can conceptualize this as well. It's not, not just a rowing back from a... A poor position it's it's it can be used as a um as a new product uh methodology as well yeah well well we took you to dark sides we didn't even know we were going to take you to rat pituitary glands and all <laughs> so uh we hope that that we sparked a few uh brain cells that make you think about your business uh, better different and uh and, and you do something remarkable with it. Um, you can hear all our podcasts, of course, um, where you get your podcasts and on our Accidental Marketer site. And we always wanna hear if you have any thoughts about what we're talking about or something you think would be interesting for us to, to talk about. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>